Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Amen. You can be opening your Bibles, Matthew 5 and Galatians 5. Um, If uh, this is your first time here during this series, we're in a series on the Beatitudes, and we are comparing them line by line with the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. Now, the Bible doesn't call it ninefold fruit, but I emphasize that to remind you that the fruit of the Spirit is not multiples, but it has multiple elements within it. If you have the Spirit, you have all of God all the time. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have all of God all the time. So what, what is the factor? The Holy Spirit may not have all of you. Right? You following me? Back in the day, uh, during Moody's Day, they, there was a, church, a, a city and the pastors were together and they wanted to have someone come and conduct a citywide crusade. And they suggested D.L. Moody. And one uh, better pastor said, well, does D.L. Moody have more of the Spirit than anyone else? And a wise man in the room said, no, but I do not know of another man of whom the Holy Spirit does not have more of than the Holy Spirit has of D.L. Moody. That's the key. That is what we're after. And so we're going to compare the fruit of the Spirit with the Uh, the the Beatitudes with the fruit of the Spirit and surprisingly that idea came to my mind I don't I probably heard it somewhere and you know a brain cell was dying kind of reminded me of it I don't know how that worked but but surprisingly they kind of you can make them do that they without without twisting it at all they fit in very very well and so today we come to hungering and thirst thirsting for righteousness. And uh, if you can go ahead with uh, the first slide up there. Um, so that is where we are. And the corresponding fruit there is patience. Go ahead. And this is what I want you to take home with you today. We're not blessed if we are righteous. We are blessed if we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we want to define those words very clearly as we make application. We, we've already heard it read. So would you join with me in prayer? And please Pray for, for yourself that God would open your eyes to, to what the Spirit is saying to you here in the Word. 
pray for me that I might communicate clearly and, and uh, without confusion as best as humanly possible. And, uh, and pray for uh, the whole body of Christ here gathering at Calvary that, that we would hear as, as a whole. And then pray for other churches in our city and around the world that today as the gospel is proclaimed, people might come to know Christ. Would you join me in prayer? And you can pray those things while I just pray out loud. Father God, in Jesus' name, we step into your presence and uh, we don't say in Jesus' name as just a catchphrase or, a, or, or a, a formulaic phrase. But Lord, when we came under your leadership, your dictatorship, your lordship, uh, Lord, you gave us access to the Father and told us that in your name we could come in your authority. And so, Father God, as we step into the, your holy presence... We come not with a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness given to us by Jesus Christ. And he said we could ask of you. And that because you love us, that you would answer the prayer. There at the tomb, Jesus said, you always hear. You always answer. And so, Lord, in that same authority of Jesus, we ask now that your people would see your will for their life. For the life of the church. For the life of how we do your uh, work here on the earth. And we realize it is only two things that you left us here to do. Uh, but e even in just doing those two things, Lord, we fall so far short. And we can only be successful in your eyes if we are empowered and following by the Holy Spirit and, and following the will of God uh, by his power. So we ask today that you would open our eyes to behold the wonderful things in your word, that you would apply them to our hearts and our lives and our minds, and that we would give all last ounce of our effort to do your will. Give us your grace today, Father. We thank you that your grace has been brought to us by the, by the price of Jesus on the cross, and his resurrection empowers it for us. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this, in this passage today, it, it tells us what we're doing. It tells us what, we, what is the object of that doing, and it gives us a promise. And so the, the, the object that we are striving for is righteousness. And, and I believe that that word is kind of a confusing word. I, I remember being a teenager, and, uh, and our church went through a, a time, it was kind of a it could have been a confusing time, I guess. It was from the early 70s, about 73 uh, on through the early 80s. Uh, our church uh, was a huge auditorium. It had, it, they had filled that auditorium in the 50s. And the church was declining. The neighborhood was declining. And, uh, and then we got this Texas evangelist as a pastor. And you've heard me mention him uh, before in that way. And uh, boy, he was exciting. And he built a team around him. And one guy was, uh, was extremely conservative. And, and I'm using those terms very lightly because I don't want to condemn anybody. Love that, love that man to death. Uh, he, was, he was all about what God's word said and doing it that way. And then on the other hand, we had a worship leader that wasn't charismatic, but he didn't fall short of being that, okay? Uh, if you know what I mean. He was just exciting. And, and boy, our worship was exciting. Our teaching was solid. The pastor that he preached, man, you paid attention when he preached. You just couldn't help it. But so we had this group of teenagers, man, and we just 
fell in love with the Lord, and we were super active and super going after things. And I remember a friend of ours uh, who actually just passed away recently, um, but, but he brought to our attention a verse that is not far from the verses that we are in. It, it, it's a verse that puzzled me and, and still does to some degree uh, for years and years and years. And in, in our teenage immature condition, we could not understand what Jesus meant when he said this. And, and as I said, it's, it's right here in chapter 5. Look down to verse 20. It, it's a scary verse. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I mentioned that one pastor we had was this really conservative type guy. And again, I'm using that term very loosely. I am a conservative. Uh, theologically, I, I, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe every word in this, word, in this book was inspired by God. Uh, I believe it all the way from Genesis to the maps. I, I, in fact, I think they killed a holy cow to make the cover of my Bible. I'm just telling you, I believe the whole Bible. And so I'm conservative in that way. But th- th- when I say he was conservative, because again, I'm being kind, uh, and, and he wasn't extreme, but, but we as kids caught on that maybe we had to keep some rules. You know, uh, several of us had hair longer than mine is now. I got a haircut this week, but, but uh, even, by the way, I hope kids went to church. I forgot to announce that. Pastor Andy reminded me I had it in my mind, but I was just so into the scripture of, of listening to that, I, I, I missed it. Um, so kids, if you haven't gone, you can go, but... Um, but there were, sorry, sidetracked myself. So, so we, we started keeping these rules, and we would get these rules set for us. And then they would change because, guess what? You can never keep a set of rules as a man, right? And in the midst of realizing we couldn't keep the rules, we're looking at this, where Jesus said, hey, if you're not better than them, well, the Pharisees kept the rules. Now, they didn't really, but boy, on the outside, they kept the rules, Right? And he says, if you are not more righteous than they, you won't see heaven. Well, let me make you a promise. You're not. You're not more righteous than them. You never will be more righteous than them. And let me tell you why. Because there's not a human being alive, save or lost, that in that human condition All his righteousness is as filthy rags. But there is a difference for the Christian, and I'm going to come to that later uh, in just a second maybe, to give you a little bit of hope. I I didn't understand this verse. You you see, in this verse, it tells us where to to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mentioned uh, when you decide you're going to fast food, there's a, a time period... First three days, some people it starts right away, some people the third day, but for me it's about the middle of that where you, you just want to eat something, you know, you just, just give me something to put down in my, my belly. But if you get through that, that hunger goes away. You no longer feel hungry. And when it does return, you're in danger because your body has run out of reserved fuel I've told you this a million times. I'm going to tell you again. And it started to eat the muscle itself. 
And that's where Jesus found himself when he was tempted by Satan. And you are beginning to literally starve. We always say, if I miss supper, I go, I'm starving. No, I'm not. I just, my belly is yelling at me because I didn't put anything in it in the past 10 minutes, you know. But, I mean, just this past week, I, I, I was able to fast for several days. And, and the hardest part was when I just... And Janice could even tell you, I was like, you know, I think I'll just go ahead and eat. You know, I'm not going to go the days I, I said I would. Let me go ahead and eat. I, I, don't, I don't think I have to keep going. And she's, yeah, thankfully, she encouraged me to hang in there, and I did. But I got used to feeling hungry. Some of the best advice about fasting I ever got, I got it from my son he, when he was a kid. He looked at me and said, just because you feel hungry doesn't mean you have to eat. Oh, the wisdom of youth. <laughs> Amen. But you see, if we ignore receiving Christ's righteousness in our life through the Word, through the Spirit, through prayer, through fellowship, all the means of grace, we can get used to not having Him. In fact, there are plenty of preachers and Christians and churches that are doing just fine without ever con consulting God about what they're doing. And they may even be successful in the world's eyes. I, I don't want to be that way. We can get used to doing without righteousness. And I want to remind you, and, and, and if, if this is your first Sunday here and you don't know about this series, please you can go on our website uh, or the app and you can hear uh, the, the first three that we covered because each beatitude builds on the one before it and so you're laying a foundation con uh, co constantly but each one rises to a new level in, in our lives and, and so first uh, we saw that, that we were destitute and not only destitute which means you have less than nothing you have no means of gaining anything you cannot get anything and when we realize that the second one was blessed are you if you mourn we mourn that condition and and then the third one as you see there uh, then we become meek which we realize I've got nothing I can't get anything man I hate this condition somebody tell me somebody help me you're meek you become teachable that knowledge of that condition makes you desire something from God and so now he tells us what that desire ought to lead to it ought to be a hungering and thirsting for righteousness God wants to take us deeper into relationship uh, with him and and each beatitude brings us more and more uh, or I should say closer and closer uh, to absolute surrender to God where we can give our utmost for his highest well You've already seen the thing I want you to take home. If you don't mind putting that back up there. You see, we're blessed not if we're righteous, but if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, according to this verse, right? Let me reread the verse for us. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I didn't mention all the 
uh, the parts of the, through the Holy Spirit, nor the promises of the first three. But do you see the progression? I am destitute, I mourn, I, I, uh, and, and then I desire to know. And in my knowledge, the Bible says the way you get that is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I want to define the terms a little bit so you know what it means. What does that mean? And shockingly, so many times, when I go and investigate the original language of the meaning of the word, it means to hunger and a thirst, okay? It means what we have there. It means exactly what he is saying. But I will tell you this is a unique construction in the sentence. It is not typically used in the way that it is used here. And by using it this way, it is more than, as I said, you know, I, my dad always said he was, a very, he was a light eater. When it got light, he started eating. And uh, now he was never a big guy. He was shorter than I am. He never weighed more than 155 pounds his whole life. I said that really fast, like a Charlestonian 55. But 155 pounds, as big as my dad ever got, about five foot nine. That was, that was his top. But boy, he ate all day long. Now, he didn't eat a lot at any one spot, but he ate all day long. And I'm, I kind of got his stomach. I, I know people, oh, I can't eat when I first get up. Are you kidding me? I can get up in the middle of the night and eat. It don't matter. I can eat anytime. It just, oh, if I'm awake, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a boredom eater. If I, I got nothing else to do, let me put something in my mouth and eat it. And, and, but this, this is not that. It is not feeling hungry. It, it is not even getting to the end of a long, long fast and feeling that need that if I don't eat, I'm going to die, which is what's happening if you go too long. It is to long for it. It is to desire it. This hungering and thirsting is explaining a desire. It's more than just a felt need. It's more than just, yeah, I'm hungry. I need to get with the Lord. It is, you want to get with the Lord. It is a, it, it is a consuming passion that you have to get to the place where you have His righteousness. You see, th this isn't a duty we perform. We, we are so, as human beings, we are so uh, cued in on rules and keeping rules, right? And we believe that, that if we keep the rules, we are righteous. But this is a constant hungering and thirsting for righteousness. <clears throat> let, me, let me try to help explain that a little bit. Let, let's say that you go downtown or go someplace and you see a hungry person and I mean legitimately hungry they they don't have anything they're in, they're in a bad way for whatever reason whatever circumstances and that fella or that lady comes up to you and says sir I am so hungry I don't want you to give me money but would you just buy me something to eat I mean you know they're honestly hungry I'm not gonna look at them and go, oh that's just figment of your imagination you're not really hungry you just think you're hungry that'd be foolish wouldn't it he is hungry. He feels that need. He is at that spot. God wants us to constantly be feeling the need of his presence, of his righteousness, of his holiness, of his will. We desire what we want. He wants us to desire what he wants. And don't you think just saying you were hungry would have been enough? I mean, you would think that well, if you're hungry for his righteousness, you'll go for it. But the Bible does speak about hunger and thirst. It says it here. Well, what is the hunger? Well, in Timothy, Paul says, but you are babes, you know, and you're not ready for meat. But as babes, at least desire the 
pure milk of the word of God. At least want the basics. But, but he says, it's time for you to go on. You know, we don't feed a, a steak to a newborn baby because they can't handle it yet, right? And so in our spiritual life, that is also said. And it's a, it's a metaphor in, 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 in Christianity. But there's also a thirst. Well, where do we get our thirst filled? Jesus said that. If you're thirsty, you can come to me and out of your innermost being will flow a river of living water. Well, if you are in the midst of a river of living water, you shouldn't be thirsty, right? But I haven't given you that key that kind of delineates this yet. Probably I should just so I could uh, maybe explain it better. But I, I want you to really be where I want you to be when, when, when I talk about it. This is not a duty to perform. It is a necessity to live. In other words, God, give me your grace or I die. I, I want to remind you of a verse in Scripture. And it's Psalm 42 and verse 1. You know it. We sing it in a song. It's a beautiful song. It sounds very beautiful. Here's the verse. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Well, I don't know about you, but that is a Hobby Lobby plaque if I ever saw one, right? And you always see it's never a big buck. It's never even a big doe. It's always a little fawn down there drinking. I heard a pastor explain this a different way. And, and I'm, I, I don't know if I'll be comfortable doing exactly the way he did it, but, but I, I'm, I'm going to try. So just, just buckle in because if I get, you know, ugly up here, please forgive me, but but he said, this isn't that. This isn't a deer traipsing through the woods and, oh, what a lovely bubbling brook. I think I'll take a drink. <laughs> Taking a little drink. He said, this is a 12-point, three-foot-wide rack on a buck, and the dogs have found him. Now, we don't dog hunt up here much. But I come from a place where they dog hunt more than anything else. And those dogs get on him and start chasing him. Some enemy is after him, and he takes off running. And he runs, and he runs, and he runs. And all day, they cut off his exits and chase him in a new direction. He's trying to get away, and he runs, and he runs. And he has not had a break from running for all day. And finally, he's gotten away. He's outfoxed those who were chasing him. And he comes to a brook, and he's going... <laughs> <laughs> I gotta have it. I've gotta have that water because I'm about to die. That's hungry and thirsty. That's panting after the water, who is the Holy Spirit in us. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Catches. Righteousness is defined as justification, vindication, acquittal, except, uh, acquittal that brings life. And we get righteousness from God. We, we receive that from God. And when we look at what that means, righteousness toward God is that we are pure in heart before Him, legally, morally, and all-consuming. And Right with man, being pure in heart with our fellow man. But, but there's another text. Uh, you can write it down. I, I'm not going to ask you to look it up. But in Romans 4, here is that key that I've been hinting at, but I haven't said yet. Righteousness is not what I do. It is who I am. 
Okay, and, and I said in the early part, because I, listen, I don't like saying I'm just a sinner saved by grace, but that's exactly true. I am a sinner saved by grace. But sometimes we use that term when we mess up, right? When we blow it, we say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm going to make a mistake. Well, God doesn't want you to wallow in that. He wants you to do better than that. He wants you to have the power of the Spirit to, to follow His will. But the truth of it is, you can't save yourself and I can't save myself, right? And so this righteousness starts with what we call in theology justification. Now you've heard that word and the simple explanation, just as if I died because Jesus died in my place and he took my, the justice that was coming to me, the justice of death and hell on himself for being in rebellion against God. And not only did he defeat did he defeat this enemy Satan and his foes? And he, by dying on the cross, he began the process for us to take back the nations for him. Psalm 2, we ought to be a missional people all the time. That God calls us into this relationship with him. And so we are justified. When I stand before God, God looks and there is no guilty on me because Jesus has given me his record and his record is perfection. And he took my record, which was guilt, upon him. And he took it to a cross. Amen? This is going beyond that. This is the big word, sanctification. And sanctify just comes from the word in the Bible meaning holy. And holy, we think of as being, oh, perfect, right? Holy is this kind of austere, we, you know, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let's let all the earth keep silent. Well, I also see in the Bible, they, they get pretty loud in heaven. So, you know, silence has its place, but so does loudness have its place. Righteousness is a state of being before God that you cannot get to. And I'm making a very fine difference here, so, so hang in there. The, the verse I want to read to you first says, is in Romans chapter 4, verses 20 25. And he's talking about Abraham. And when Abraham believed God, it says, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I'm going to pick it up in verse 20. You should read before that. But for brevity, I'm just starting at 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. The Bible is saying there, Abraham messed up. Sure he did, but he never wavered from his faith in God. And then 21 says... Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. If you are a King James guy, which I grew up that way. And the verses I memorized through age about 26 were all King James. So that's what I have to look it up in that and then to find it. And then I have to come back to my modern version to get it. That word there is it was imputed to him. And that word imputed is a word that means charged to his account. It says his faith was counted as righteousness. God put it on his credit card and, and zeroed out yours. He gave you a good record when you didn't deserve it. And so now verse 23 says this. But the words it was counted to him or imputed were not written for his sake alone, talking about Abraham. Verse 24, but for ours also it will be imputed, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from 
uh, who raised Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, now he gives us his righteousness. Paul said, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. I don't become righteous. God makes me righteous. God counts Jesus' righteousness to my account. That's why when we pray, we don't come, as, as I modeled here this morning, if you were listening in as I was trying to talk to God, and I don't mind if you do that, that we did not come in, oh Lord, man, I've been walking with you 55 years. As I was talking about this sermon with my wife this week, I began to cry, and I don't easily cry. That's kind of a, really, it just hit me. And I said, how could I claim to be and walk, to walk with the Lord in a Christian for over 55 years and not understand this yet? It is his righteousness given to me. It, it, it's all through scripture. When David, when Jonathan gave David his armor and then he said, just make me a promise. Once I am gone, because I'm not going to be the king, you're the king. This, it, the, the, what Jonathan's understanding of David is one of the most beautiful things in the Bible. He should be the next king. We just have seen this in England, you know. The queen died, Charles becomes king, you know. And, and uh, like I said, I quit caring about the royal family about 1776, but that's okay. But we have seen this kind of transfer. And Jonathan is the next in line. He ought to be the king. But he recognizes that God picked David. And he's like, man, I'm your servant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support you. Which is why his dad hated him. Saul hated his son. Because his son was loyal to David. But he said, here, take my armor. Because there's only two suits of armor in Israel. Uh, because they couldn't make their own metal stuff. They had to go to the Philistines to do it. And the Philistines are not going to give them weapons of war very easily. And so David put on Jonathan and he said, when I'm gone, please take care of my family. And David said, you got it. Which, there's a beautiful story in the Bible about that, right? The Bible uses that as an illustration and says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. That's in Galatians 5 where we're going to be reading later, right? That we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and so it's not my righteousness. And I never go to God in prayer and go... Hey, Lord, you know, I've been doing really good. You know, I'm growing in you. And, man, I think I got this thing licked. I am walking in faith. I, I am doing all the right things. I don't cuss, you know, chew. Don't run with people who do. I, I you know, drink, cuss, and chew. That's where that's how that thing starts. I, you know, I'm doing so well. And so, Lord, I just came to talk to you today because I'm doing good. No. You're destitute. And you mourn it. And you become meek. And now you are always hungering and thirsting. I need more of God. I need more of God. I need more of God. Well, we're not saying that right. God gets more of us. But as we seek him, as we chase him, if you want to use that term, the promise is you're satisfied. This word satisfied here in the Beatitudes it means to gorge, <laughs> to supply food in abundance, to feed, to fill, to satisfy, to eat one's fill. It is complete satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be totally satisfied. Why? Because if God made us better, we would have a reason to boast. God doesn't make us better. He gives us his better. 
He puts his righteousness on us. And so when Satan accuses me before God and God looks at me, all he can see is the righteousness of Christ. Because it was given to me. It was imputed to me. It was counted for me. And so I'm back here going, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that because I know what I am without Christ. And I am floored. I can't think of a strong enough word that he loved me that much. I I don't think you and I really understand salvation. You deserved hell. You deserve nothing better than hell. And God in his love and sovereign wisdom put on a human form, lived here a perfect life, and he could have said, hey, I did it right. Follow my example. See you later. Well, he does tell us follows his example, but he died so that he could give us the Holy Spirit to empower us to follow his example. And the Christian life, again, is this dynamic between I am nothing, I have nothing, I wish I did, I mourn that, I am so grieved I don't have it. Oh, Lord, help me, I'm meek, I'm teachable. He says, then hunger and thirst for me. No man is satisfied until he's satisfied in God. So many people, we chase so many things, and we're not satisfied. Let's stick with the metaphor here of hungering and thirsting. How many of you ever binged on something sweet? Most of you are liars because you didn't raise your hand. I'm only kidding. I don't know if you're a liar or not. That was just, that was a joke. But I'm diabetic and I got some awesome equipment now that keeps me a lot better off in in my sugar ranges. But boy, I can remember, you know, mom bringing home a pack of Oreos. And one sleeve of that disappearing pretty fast. It's a wonder I didn't die. (laughs) You know, it's just crazy. Uh, Krispy Kreme, one Krispy Kreme donut gives me a headache, makes me dizzy, but boy, you ought to try three of them in a row. That's, <laughs> that's puking, feeling bad, you know? So you feel hungry. You know there's something you need. And Satan offers up donuts, candy, candy bars, cookies, and you gorge on that. That just makes you sick. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And what I want you to catch, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't, man, I'm saved. I know what God's got me. Oh, Lord, I hunger and thirst for you. Amen. Settle that sea in 50 years when I die. No, today you are tempted to whatever your particular sin is. Today, you're tempted to go to despair, to become depressed. Today, you're tempted to look what, on, what you should not look or to ingest that which you should not ingest or to have a bad attitude or a, or a wrong judgment of people. And in that moment, you need to, instead of going your natural way, to hunger and thirst for God's way, for His righteousness, so that you can be satisfied in your life. We want to make our own choices I love Hudson Taylor. I'm going to quote these guys a lot to you, I guess, in this series. But he said, God reserves the best to leave the choices up to him. 
That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And it's a constant thing. It is an, a, a something where though we are filled with God, we are never satisfied. We want more of him. But he brings healing. He brings joy. He brings the fruit of the spirit in our life. And, and, he, and he satisfies. I've explained to people medically so many times, just being a diabetic, I learned this stuff, about why you can feel hungry. And, and listen, no matter what the advertisers say, Eating a Snickers does not satisfy. Well, I'll say this. It does satisfy for about an hour. But two hours from now, you're going to be hungrier than before you ate the Snickers. Because you shocked your body with a type of sugar, which is table sugar, that doesn't need your body to do anything for it to just be absorbed into your system. Your body breaks down steak and turns it into sugar. It breaks down vegetables and turns it into sugar. When you put pure sugar in your body, your, your sugar levels in your blood just start to skyrocket. But you, not being a diabetic, something happens in your body that is awesome. That blood is running through the liver and the liver goes, whoa, boy, we're getting a sugar rush. Hey, pancreas, throw us some insulin. And boom, in comes a bunch of insulin to make sure it doesn't get above a certain point. And that insulin grabs it and pushes it down. But because you shock the body with the sugar, the, the body shocks back with insulin. And when it hits you and you're at the top of the normal range, you fall to the bottom of the normal range. You go, man, I'm hungry. Every day you're tempted to take Satan's sweet snacks that never satisfy and put your body in a constant state of adrenaline rush which eventually tears apart your tissues but when you hunger and thirst for righteousness when you get the salad and the I'll say steak because I think it's good for you <laughs> they're finding out you actually need it when you eat fresh fruit instead of the apple pie <laughs> mm, love apple pie all of a sudden, you're satisfied. It's good. It's enough. And when you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness to be seen in your life, that you're right with God and you're right with man, he will satisfy you. It doesn't leave us much time. Patience is the word and the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, this ninefold fruit of the Spirit, we come to the fourth one. It was love, joy, peace, and now patience. We don't understand that word patience. In our modern world, we think patience means not yelling at the guy in front of you in line when you're in a long line at the grocery store, right? And people say, oh, you're so patient. No, I just didn't do, you know, I, I just decided not to scream about being in line. There are people who do. Don't, don't appreciate that when people do that. Get We call it impatient. But that's not what the Bible word patient means. The Bible word patient means forbearance. It means fortitude. It means digging in and staying with it no matter what. That you would rather die than to give up. That's patience. It is to stay with it. It's a willingness to work. And wait for it to happen. It, it is the, the never quit attitude. No matter what. If, if I'm on the right path. If I'm on the right mission. I won't quit. I won't be deterred. I won't be stopped. You may knock me down for a season. But brother you better get out of the way. Because when I get up. I'm going to run over you to get to where I'm going. That is patience. And a very wise person. As I was talking about this sermon with them. <laughs> gave me this sentence just popped into their head. Patience is not the one who won the race. It's the one who doesn't quit in the race. 
In Hebrews 12, 1, the Bible says that we, we've got this great, it says, seeing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And that cloud of witnesses was everybody in Hebrews 11 and, then, and loved ones in your life that love the Lord and have already gone to their reward. It, it's a picture of a stadium filled with faithful people who've gone on and they are cheering you on. And he says, seeing we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, let us, catch this, run with patience well, verse says, seeing we're surrounded by a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with patience. Here it's translated endurance. It's not quitting. It's not giving up. The race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Did you catch that? Jesus didn't <coughs> stop early, did he? There were several times the devil wanted him to stop early because <clears throat> there was an appointed time and Jesus knew it. <clears throat> and when he, he even said, it's not my time yet. He told his mom, it's not my time yet. It's not my time. I got to wait till my time. And when my time comes, I will die. But no man will take my life. I'll lay it down willingly and I'll pick it back up. And so he ran with patience, with endurance the race before him, and when he did, we said it the other week under joy as well, and for the joy set before him, he, was, he endured the cross, he despised the shame in a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So now he tells us to run that patience, with, run that race with patience, and the race we run, we run it hungering and thirsting, that is the race, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I wanted to say something early on. I'm really out of time. <clears throat> but remember, every one of these is a mark of a citizen of the kingdom of God. And boy, I had to look at my life this week and, and, and ask myself, do I hunger and thirst for God's will to be done in my life? Jesus, what did Jesus pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He hungered and thirsted for God's will, for God's righteousness. And I have to ask myself, is that my choice every time? Or do I always grab the candy bar? Do I grab the donut? Do I grab the offering of Satan that looks good, but it only hurts? Or do I desire God above all things? Do I desire his righteousness to be seen in my life? That I'm not living for me, I'm living for him. That's not a set of rules. We all want rules. Well, what does that mean? What do I have to do? What time do I have to go to bed? What time do I have to get up? What kind of clothes do I wear? How do I cut my hair? What style of clothes should I wear? How do they look? Can I do this or should I not do that? We want all those rules. No, you want to hunger and thirst for God himself. Because Ezekiel said he's going to take out a stony heart and put a heart of flesh in us and write his law in our heart. And so... By the power of the Holy Spirit, the written word is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And we realize that it is telling us about the living word who did all of this. He hungered and thirsted for his father's will to be done. And then he did it. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, what would it look like if all of us in this room decided that we wanted to hunger and thirst 
for your righteousness. It's not a one-time deal. It's a constant thing. It is a choice we make a million times a day, and that's an exaggeration, but you, you know what I mean. That, we, that it, it just every moment in this situation, I want to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. I want to do it his way. I want to respond his way. I want to do it his way. And Lord, we, we don't want to get caught up in, in, in the confusion of trying to figure out what that is. But rather, this is just a desire that overwhelms our life, that we are constantly going to your word. We are constantly praying. We are constantly getting with fellow believers to encourage one another in our walk uh, with you. That we obey the things that we know you told us to do. And we are consumed with a desire to know you and to make you known in all the world. Lord, help us. If everybody would just stand up with me for a moment. We've come back to having a public invitation. And, and listen, some people stay where they are because they, they're like, one of a couple reasons. One is, hey, I, I'm good here. I, I thank you for the sermon, but I'm, I'm already good. Well, praise the Lord. Is there somebody you need to pray for down here? Please come and pray for somebody else if you're good. If you feel the need that you want to understand what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that, that maybe you don't hunger and thirst, but you hunger and thirst to hunger and thirst. You want to come and lay that at the throne of God, the throne of grace. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives to all men liberally and does not criticize you for it. So come this morning. But there might be somebody in here, you say, if I die in the next moment, I have do, I'm not in relationship with God. I've just been religious, gone to church my whole life. Just I do religious things. But I don't have a real relationship with God where I realize that I am utterly in need. And I'm mourning that fact and I'm meek and teachable and God is showing me that I need to hunger and thirst. So I'll be doing His will and I need the patience, the endurance to stick with it until that satisfaction comes. We know we, it'll never come till the end fully. But boy, we can have a big chunk right now. And so if you need to know Christ in a personal way, I'm going to come down there and stand in the front. You can come talk to me. If you're here and you need to pray, come pray. If you don't feel the need to pray, I can tell you, you need to pray for other people. And maybe you'd be an encouragement if you stepped out. So as God leads you, would you come, pray, seek the Lord, and ask for help if you want help. Somebody to pray with you, to help explain it, whatever. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would... uh, uh, do this in our hearts. Amen.